0: Well, amen. It is good to be in prayer, and uh, I'm not used to being Brother Rob. Usually, I'm preaching one place or the other. I don't know how he does it. He's about to wear me out. Thankfully, my voice has held up so far. We'll try to make it one more time. If it'll hold out one more time, we'll be okay. Good crowd. Good to be in the Lord's house. I know it's a holiday weekend, but appreciate you taking time out to be in the Lord's house even on a holiday weekend and uh, don't, don't feel bad cuz uh, Pidge and Harold, they've all had to li- they've had to listen to me twice already so you're just going to hear me once so uh, you don't have it you don't have it as bad as uh, as they do we're going to look into uh, John chapter 14 John chapter 14 then also Acts chapter 1 It's a little different type of a message. I hesitate to preach this kind of a message because it's, it's kind of got a slow start and I don't want to lose you in the first few minutes. And I know nowadays most people's attention is about 10 minutes till the commercials come on and then they get recharged for another 10 minutes. And so if you go over about 10 minutes, a lot of people lose, uh, they lose their train, their train of thought. So, uh, I'm, so you try to stay with me this morning in uh, John chapter 14 verse 1 says, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may be also. Then looking over again in Acts chapter number 1, Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1, verses 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And I want to ask you this morning just use your imagination a little bit and uh, let your mind wander. But some of you, that won't be too hard. But if you'll let your mind wander a little bit back to uh, 1940. And I know this is not really a patriotic message, but I thought this would be a good weekend uh, to preach this message. As we're celebrating Memorial Day tomorrow and we're honoring those especially those that uh, gave their lives so that you and I could have the freedoms that we have uh, today. So, uh, again, I'm not, it's not really a patriotic message, but I'm just going to try to use some American history uh, to uh, bring home a gospel message. Now, again, stay with me because I don't want you to get, uh, get, get bored in the first few minutes and turn me off. You're going to have to use your imagination. It's going to take me longer to set, put the tablecloth on the table, and it's going to take time to eat the groceries. But if you'll just hold on a little bit, we, once we get the table set, uh, we're going to get to some gospel groceries here in just a little bit, all right? So let your mind go back to 1940. It had been almost 22 years since America had fought and won World War I, and America had just come through the Great Depression. I'm going to try to stick to my notes a lot in the beginning because uh, I got a lot of dates and facts, and I don't want to get them wrong, because somebody will correct me. And a couple of you look like he was here back then, so I'm pretty sure you can do it. But... Uh, Back in 1940, names like Bataan and Corregidor and Luzon, they were just names of some far off remote places in the South Pacific seas. And America, Americans were watching with interest as a man by the name of Adolf Hitler was goose stepping his way across Europe and he was marching to the drumbeat of war. He was making strange alliances with countries like Austria and Italy. Then, suddenly on Sunday morning, December the 7th, 1941, very early in the morning, there was a sneak attack about the Japanese on our uh, base at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. There were 360 Japanese dive bombers that came in and dealt our air defense and our naval fleet there a crippling blow. And at the same time, this attack was being uh, put into place and put into action. The uh, Japanese had representatives in Washington DC that were talking about peace and claiming they were trying to put together a peace plan. That day, 2,403, of our soldiers were killed, and 188 aircraft were lost. Many of our planes never were able to even get off the ground. And on that same day, because they crossed the international date line, the Japanese bombed Manila, Singapore, and the American bases on Guam. Then on December the 8th, 1941, President Roosevelt declared that the United States was officially at war with Japan. And we went to war with Japan. We were already at war in Europe. During this time, General George C. Marshall was the chief of staff, and he chose a general by the name of Dwight D. Eisenhower to oversee the war efforts on a global scale. And General Eisenhower went to London to prepare for the invasion of Europe, and at the same time, President Roosevelt and General Marshall chose a man named Douglas MacArthur to oversee the war efforts in the South Pacific Islands. Now, I've read a whole lot about Douglas MacArthur, and while I do not know whether he was a Christian or not, I do know that he was a great statesman. He was a great soldier. He was a man that loved the United States of America. He was wounded three different times. He was decorated 13 times. He was cited for bravery seven different times. And if they'd left General MacArthur alone, we probably wouldn't have the problems that we have with Korea today. Now, politically, they pulled him back and discharged him, but that's another story. But the battle began to rage there in the South Pacific. And now General MacArthur and his troops, they have fought courageously for four long months. And. Finally, they had to withdraw to the Bataan Peninsula. Now, the Bataan, Bataan Peninsula was 25 miles long and just 20 miles wide. Our troops began to dig in there on Bataan, and it became a symbol of Allied resistance. It was just a, just a small, simple area, but yet it became almost a spiritual resistance in the eyes of the Japanese. And the Japanese felt like that little, small area must be captured at all cost. So they began to send all of their forces in the South Pacific to this one small piece of land, and they began to bomb that little small island by the hour. During this time, the Japanese sent a message to General MacArthur and said, General Douglas MacArthur, your prestige and honor have been upheld. However, to avoid needless bloodshed and to save your troops, you are advised to surrender. General MacArthur sent a message and said, tell the boys to step up the artillery fire and let the Japanese know we're not going down without a fight. At the same time, he was talking to Washington, D.C. on the shortwave radio, and he made this statement. He said, you're worried about the mother in the living room talking about the soldiers in Europe while they're raping the daughter in the bedroom talking about the soldiers in the South Pacific. He said, we don't have enough food, we don't have enough men, we don't have enough materials. They say that our men at that time in the South Pacific were living on 15 ounces of food per day. Many of them had dysentery, many of them were infected with malaria, many of them had been wounded. Then on March the 12th, 1942, just prior to Bataan falling to the Japanese, after the third demand by President Roosevelt, General MacArthur took his wife and his son and took a PT boat and went back to the little island of Corregidor. Now, Corregidor was three and a half miles wide, just a little old bitty island that was solid rock and it had natural caves in it. Our men felt like if Bataan ever fell to the Japanese, they would have to retreat to Corregidor. It was called the Gibraltar of the South Pacific. On March 16th, 1942, General Douglas MacArthur was ordered to leave the Philippine Islands altogether. He's been ordered to go to Australia and regroup the troops and wait for further commands from Washington, D.C. General MacArthur stood there on the flight ladder of a DC-3 airplane and he looked into the eyes of those soldiers. And to the eyes of those Filipino people, and he said those words that later became a household phrase, he said, I, General Douglas MacArthur, give you my word, I shall return. What he said, he said, keep the flag flying, boys, I'm coming back. What he said to those Filipino people was, I'm coming back for you one of these days. He saluted the Filipino people and the soldiers there and walked into that plane soon afterwards. Plane after plane after plane began to leave the southern tip of the Philippine Islands. So you've got to understand the Filipino people. They looked up to General Douglas MacArthur. They looked at him as the great general, the great benefactor from that great land of utopia called America. They depended on him. They thought he was going to be the one that was going to set them free. And now he's leaving them behind. Left behind on those islands were several thousand American and Filipino soldiers, and the highest-ranking soldier, or the highest-ranking officer, was Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright. And on April 3, 1942, Bataan was attacked by 50,000 Japanese troops, and they bombed it by day, bombed it by night. Six days later, Bataan fell into the hands of the Japanese, and our men had to withdraw to that little rock island of Corregidor. They'd already strung the razor wire, and they had dug in on that little three-mile rock island in they had machine gun nests set up, and those Japanese began to come across Corregidor against, uh, time after time and after time, and they said that that island literally ran with the blood of Japanese and American soldiers. They say that those Japanese soldiers would step out of their boats, and the machine gun fire from the Americans would mow them down, and they would just fall across that razor wire, and they literally became human step ladders for their comrades to step on and be able to cross the wire. Then on May 6, 1942, after 27 days of living hell, Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright wired President Roosevelt and said, there's a limit to human endurance. Without prospect of relief, I feel it is my duty to my gallant troops and to my country to end this useless effusion of human sacrifice. So what he's getting ready to do, he's getting ready to surrender to the Japanese. And our men begged him not to do it. several hours later, he wired one last time to the president. He sent a message that said, With profound regret and with continued pride in my troops, I go to meet the Japanese. Goodbye, Mr. President. They began to surrender, and the news began to travel around those islands, and all of our troops began to surrender. And what the Japanese did was gather together all of the American and Filipino soldiers that marched them on what was called the Bataan Death March. It was 70 miles that they marched our men in the hot tropical sun. and Many of them were wounded. Their bodies are weak. They've had nothing to drink or eat. 10,000 men died and 10,000 men were account- accounted for. Had a young man come up to me after the first service this morning in uh, Tahlequah that told me that one of his father's cousins was one of those men that lost his life on that baton death march. They say that when our, one of our men would stumble from weakness, one of those Japanese soldiers would either bayonet at them through the stomach or would take out that glittering sword and sever their head from their body. They took our men to those bamboo concentration camps and those that survived. I don't have, even have time to tell you this morning what awful torture they went through, but they did this over and over and over, and they began to use propaganda. They began to tell our men that America was losing the war. They told them that if you'll just tell us the secret maneuvers of MacArthur... We'll make you high-ranking officers in the Empire of the Rising Sun. They say a good soldier, when he's captured, will only give three things, name, rank, and serial number. I can just imagine as those Japanese captors would take one of our men to the torture chamber, those other prisoners would call out and they'd say, we'll be praying for you. Remember now, only name, rank, and serial number. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years. And I can imagine that every time those prisoners heard a clap of thunder, they might say to themselves, I wonder, is that General MacArthur coming back to get us? I wonder, has General MacArthur forgot about us? I wonder if he's still going to come back and get us one of these days. But on October the 20th, 1944, the seas horizon darkened with the sight of hundreds of ships in the South Pacific, a fleet of 650 Warships on board a force of four army divisions. After the first assault, they established a beachhead, and General Douglas MacArthur waded ashore in that shallow water, and he declared, "I have returned." You say, Brother Dunn, why are you giving us a history lesson this morning? When I look out and I see the condition of this world around us, and I see this, the the condition of the, the child of God in many places. I got a feeling that many people are getting the feeling they're, they're listening to the lies of the devil and they feel like, the, 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 we're like we got the underhand here. They feel like the devil's getting the victory. They feel like sometimes we're losing and the devil uh, is defeating us. But you know what? I'm just here to tell you this morning the devil's lying to you. In our text this morning, Jesus has a little ragged band of followers with him. He takes them up to the Mount of Olivet. He steps out there and steps on board a cloud. And I don't know if it was a cumulus cloud. I don't know if it was the Shekinah glory cloud, But it's almost as if he stepped on heaven's elevator and said, glory, please. He began to ascend out of their sight. And I see those men as they watched him as he went up through the air. I hear Simon Peter say, I denied him three times, and yet he forgave me. I see Nathaniel say, fellas, there goes the Lord. And yet I said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I hear John the Beloved say with tears in his eyes, I laid my head on his chest. and I heard the heartbeat of God. They watched as their great general, their Savior, their Lord Jesus Christ, go out of the skies and pass over into the third heaven. Bible says, then suddenly there were two men in white apparel standing with them, and they said, why stand ye there gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Now, there was no guarantee General Douglas MacArthur would have come back. There was no guarantee that he would return. He could have had a heart attack. He could have had a stroke He could have been defeated in battle There really was no guarantee that he was going to come back But you mark her down in your little day book today Jesus Christ, he is coming back Now, I want you to look at number one The certainty of his coming The certainty of his coming It's a confirmed certainty I've not counted this out myself But I've read where they say that One out of 25 verses in the New Testament Tells us that he's coming again Talks about His second coming. What that means is that on average, you read 25 verses in the New Testament, it says He's coming again. Read you another 25 verses, it says He's coming again. Read another 25 verses, it says He's coming again. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know that He's coming again. 318 times in the New Testament, we're told by the Holy Spirit that He's coming back to get us. It's a confirmed certainty. It's confirmed in His Word. Number two, it's a comforting certainty. You see, nothing is going to change in this world, really, until the Lord comes back. I mean, you know, we, we get caught up in politics and all these things. That, again, I mean, I wish things were different in America right now. In all reality, nothing really much is going to change in this world till the Lord comes back. I see some of these saints of God that have, that have lost, some of them lost two children, even the last several years. We've got a lady, in one of the ladies in Tahlequah, that in the last several years she lost two sons that have gone to be with the Lord. I mean, she's praises the Lord. like We can sing, God is so good, and she's got that hand up praising God. But you can look in her eyes. There's a sadness, there's a sorrow in her eyes that will never go away this side of heaven. But you wait till the Lord comes back one of these days. When the Lord comes back, he's going to fix it. Everything's going to be all right. It's a comforting certainty. Now, I'm a premillennial Baptist. And there's some folks that believe they're going, they're going to be here till the last 18 months of the tribulation. And if you want to stay for part of the tribulation, you are more than welcome to. But I'm checking out in Revelation 4.1 when John said, I heard a voice that come up hither. I mean, he said in Revelation 4, 1, John said, I heard a voice that spoke unto me and said, come up hither. Man, I'm with that come up hither crowd. I'm planning on getting out of here. I remember back in February 1994, we said goodbye to my dad. We planted him out in Grace Hill Cemetery in Perry, Oklahoma. See, you don't, you don't bury something you're planning on coming back up. You plant something that you're expecting to come up on these days. So we planted him in Grace Hill Cemetery. Man, I think wouldn't it be something if the Lord would just slow the resurrection down long enough. To see my daddy come out of that grave, shake his fist in the devil's face and say, I told you, I told you, I told you I was coming out of here one of these days. Well, there's the certainty of his coming. Number two, the characteristics of his coming. Now, I don't know when he's coming, but I do know how he's coming. And you say, Preacher, you've preached here enough to know that we know you ain't all that smart. So how in the world do you know how he's coming? I I agree with you. I'm not very smart. But my little old simple mind tells me if I can figure out how he went away. I can figure out how he's coming back. Because it said in like manner as you've seen him go, he's coming back. Number one, he's coming back personally. It says this same Jesus. Oh, it's the same Jesus that went up from the disciples. The same Jesus that took a little loaves of fishes and loaves of bread. Or the little old fishes and loaves of bread. And he fed 5,000, had leftovers. Same Jesus that healed the lepers, raised the dead. He's coming back for us. He's not going to send... Elijah is not going to send an angel, not going to send Moses. He's not going to send Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel quartet. If they come after me, I'd be disappointed. He's coming after the bride herself. Man, when I, when I got married, I didn't, send, I didn't send one of my brothers. I didn't send my best friend. I didn't send somebody to go, go down there at that wedding and get my wife and bring her back to me. Nuh-uh. I was going for myself. I'm going for my bride myself. I'm going to bring her myself. You mark her down. One of these days, the Lord comes back. The bridegroom's coming for his bride, the church himself. He's coming back personally. Not only that, he's coming back visibly. So, how do you know he's coming back visibly? Well, they saw him leave. They saw him leave. We're going to see him come back. He, we're going to see him come back with our own eyes. He's going to appear to those that looking. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to, hear, to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Oh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be like one of these days when he comes back to get me. But it's going to be all right no matter how it's going to be. It's going to be all right because I'm going to be like him. You might say to preacher this morning, man, there's a whole lot about you that I don't like. Well, you know, just join the club because I'm the president of it. There's a whole lot about me I don't like myself. I was thinking the other day, there's sometimes I don't even agree with myself. And uh, there's a whole lot about me, but you know what? You you might as well get ready for it because you're going to have to like me when the Lord comes back because I'm going to be like him. And if you're going to like the Lord, you're going to have to like me because I'm just like him. Well, he's going to come back swiftly. You know why? Because he got out of here swiftly. He didn't have to check in with Houston. He didn't have to check in with Cape Canaveral to see if the atmospheric conditions was right. And he got ready to go back to heaven, and he blasted out of here like Superman, but he's coming back on a wild horse like a Lone Ranger. Matthew 24, 27 says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. They tell me light travels at 186,000 miles per second. All I know is that's moving on. I've heard that the sun is one million times larger than our earth, and the circumference of the earth is 25,000 miles. They say if it were possible for you to develop a weapon that you could fire a bullet at the speed of light, that bullet would go around the world and pass through your body seven times before you could blink your eyes. They say there's planets out there that it takes several thousand years for light to travel from there to planet earth. You say, Preacher, do you believe all this stuff? Man, I don't even understand it, much less know whether I believe it or not. All I know is when he says, come up hither, I'm going to pass every bit of that up, and I'm going to be in glory. I will admit to you this morning, I like to go fast. Now, I didn't drive that. I, I got done in time in Tahlequah. I didn't have to rush too much to get here this morning, but I don't drive as fast as Brother Rob down here. It's not because it's not I don't like to drive fast. It's because I don't want to pay a ticket. And I can't talk my way out of stuff like Brother Rob can talk his way out of stuff. But I'll I, I tell you, I like to go fast. And uh, don't you kids use this for an excuse. Say, well, I can, I can drive fast because the preacher said he drove fast back when he was young. Yeah, I was stupid. And you don't have to be stupid just because I was. Man, I, I had that. When I just got out of high school, just a couple years out of high school, I was working for Southwestern Bell Telephone Company. Man, I had me a a replica of the Daytona 500 pace car Trans Am. Man, that thing was nice. In fact, that was the top of the line. That's the best Trans Am you could get. And it was top, I had it had stuff that really wasn't even available on that year of Trans Am because it was the pace car replica. They had stuff on it that wasn't really going to come out on the other Trans Am until the next year or two. Man, it was in the showroom. And they had to open the doors and let it out of the showroom in order for me to even try it out. But And, uh, man, I, man, I love that car. I like going fast and, when I worked for Southwestern Bell, I carpooled with an older lady that was just a couple years away from retirement. Man, it was something else just watching her get in and out of that Trans Am. But man, a lot of times man, I was young, I didn't want to get—I mean, I didn't want to get out of bed. Sometimes I was running late, and we was going. I'd drive from Perry to Stillwater. A lot of times I'd be—I'd be late, and man, she couldn't see the speedometer from where she's sitting over in the passenger side. But, man, she could tell we was moving on. I, I, I guarantee you, there's times I was going probably 90, 95 miles an hour down that little old two-lane highway, 86, coming out of Perry, headed to Stillwater. I don't even, honestly, I don't even know if the lady was a Christian or not, but I'm pretty sure she was praying to somebody. <clears throat> I mean, she, she just had that look on her face like she's praying. I mean, that car, man, it, it was awesome. It was, it was glorious, and it was almost sanctified. I mean, I, I, I love that car. Only cost sixteen thousand dollars. Man, that was a that was a that was an expensive car. Man, you 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 can't even hardly get a moped now for that. <laughs> Nowadays, if I'm in somebody's car and it's got a clutch, I'm tempted to pop the clutches so I can see if I can get tires to bark. I like going fast. I remember the first time I flew in an airplane. <clears throat> I was going to I was probably, I guess probably I was probably maybe going to freshman high school, something like that, about seventy-eight, nineteen seventy nine, around right in there. And uh, I was two summers. I flew uh, to, uh, to Oklahoma City down to Fort Worth, and I was going to a gospel music school down in Fort Worth. And I was flying on Lone Star Airlines, <clears throat> and uh, flew out of Oklahoma City. First time I'd ever been in an airplane. Man, I was excited about getting to be in an airplane, fly for the first time in my life. I was by myself, no no family with me or nothing. I just sitting there get excited right for that thing to get going so I can see what it feels like. I remember, man, that pilot, he took that thing out, taxied out there to the runway, and tell you he's on the runway, because look at them white stripes out there at the end of the runway, and, man, he, I guess they test the engine. You'll make sure the engines are going to rev up to full capacity or whatever. Man, he, you felt you felt him put those brakes on. He, he power-braked that thing, and then he just revved them engines up as, as, as fast as they'd go. Man, they started whining, just making this loud, whoa! sound like that. You could just feel that plane shudder as it was holding against those brakes, wanting to take off. I plum forgot where I was at. Man, i all, drop the clutch! Drop the clutch! Drop the clutch! Man, we took off down that runway and just wasn't just a few seconds. We was up in the air. I looked down below and I could see all them buildings and things that I used to be down there on the ground with them. Now I'm flying on top of them. Man, I thought, man, this is moving on. But you wait till, Op- wait till Operation Rapture comes into view. Before we can even get her into second gear, we're going to be home in glory. Well, he's coming back swiftly like the lightning, but he's also coming back solemnly like the flood. When people begin to find their children missing and saved loved ones are missing, some are going to sober up for maybe a few days. The Bible says that after that, then most of them are going to go ahead and they're going to believe the lies of the antichrist. Then he's coming back secretly like a thief. The Bible says he's coming back like a thief in the night. Don't misunderstand that scripture. He's not saying he's coming back like a thief in the night, like he's coming to steal something. The Lord's not coming back to steal the church. He bought the church with his own precious blood. The church belongs to him. When it says he's coming back like a thief in the night, that means he's going to come in. He's going to catch a lot of people, unexpecting. They tell me a professional thief will come when you're not looking. Not only that, they tell me when a professional thief will come. They can come into your house, and you'll come home and not even know they've been there until you start looking around and find the valuable heirlooms are missing. They say if you come to your house, and you come in, you can tell somebody's broke in, and there's drawers spilled out everywhere, and there's just everything they emptied out everything all over the house. That's not a professional thief. That's probably somebody looking for drug money or something. go to the professional thief and come in there, and you'll never even hardly know they've been there. They know what's valuable, and they'll take the things that are valuable. Well, then he's going to come back successfully. You say, how do you know he's going to come back successfully? Because he got back, he got back successfully. You say, how do you know that? I know he's got back successfully because he's sitting on the he's sitting on the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for me. And if he's not real, if he's not there, then what am I? What is this I feel in my heart right now? Amen. Well, but then I want you to look at the last of all the the consequences of his coming. First of all, there's going to be some grave consequences for the lost. All you hear all, if you're here today and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've not ever been saved. You hear the rest of us sitting here excited about talking about the Lord coming back and what a great day it's going to be. But if you're here today and you've never received him as Lord and Savior, it's going to be be a solemn day for you. If you If you don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to be a good day for you going to be some grave consequences if you've you've had the opportunity to get saved down here and you reject him you're not going to get another opportunity once he's come back but then there's going to be some glorious consequences for the saved oh what a day that's going to be i used to say that I, the first person i want to see is the lord and i think there is an element in all of us that are saved that we do want to see the lord and we feel like that he's the first thing we want to do is see the lord when we get to heaven but when I look at First Thessalonians chapter 4 the scripture says the dead in Christ shall rise first Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air see the Lord knows that we miss our saved loved ones so much he's going to let us get together for a reunion on the way up I don't know where I'll be when the rapture takes place but if I had my preference I'd like to be standing out in Grace Hill Cemetery if the Lord would just slow it down long enough where I could say I'd like to be there and I'd like to see my dad come out of that grave hear him sing, Oh, grave, where's thy victory? And I could come shouting along beside him, say, Oh, death, where's thy sting? And we could rise up together to meet the Lord in the air. Let's go back to our story from World War II. The 503rd Paratrooper Regiment was getting ready to invade the Philippine Islands, and they were going to liberate our men. And just a few days before the invasion began, General Douglas MacArthur called his best three intelligence officers. He told him, he said, men, said, I've got the most important mission of the war for you. He said, in just a few short days, we're going to invade the Philippines and bring out our men that are held captive there by the Japanese. He said, I need you to go behind enemy lines and get word to Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright and get him to spread the word to all of our men to hang on just a little while longer Japan's getting ready to surrender. You see, the Japanese have been telling our soldiers in captivity lies. They've been telling them that America was losing the war. They told them that they had been, that we were losing thousands upon thousands of soldiers. They told those soldiers that they had been dropping bombs on the United States mainland. General MacArthur told those intelligence officers, said, now you can't bring him out, it's too dangerous. We're just going to get you behind enemy lines and you give the message and then you need to get out make a long story short, I believe it was on the little island of Corregidor. They took those men on a stormy night. They got them behind enemy lines, and they watched the compound, and they finally figured out which tent Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright was in. They snuck into that tent where the old general was sleeping, and they said his old general uniform was laying there, and the brass buttons had become a tarnished green, and his old combat boots were muddy. Now he had on a khaki prisoner of war uniform on, and When they got inside the tent, they took a light and shined it towards General Wainwright. And he started to cry out, and they covered his mouth with their hands. And they said, sir, we're from the headquarters of General Douglas MacArthur. and He just sent us to give you this message. In a few short days, the 503rd paratrooper regiment's moving in. Japan is ready to surrender. In just a few short days, you're going to be set free. Just hang on a little while longer. Japan is fixing to surrender. Spread the word to everybody else. With that, they stood up and they saluted that old lieutenant general and then he vanished into the night. A few years ago, I read Jonathan Wainwright's own testimony of that night. He said he laid down on that old straw mattress and he tried to get him some sleep, but as he laid there, his mind was racing and he thought to himself General MacArthur's not forgot about us. General MacArthur is coming. The Japanese had been lying to us. Said as he laid there, his old military heart was pounding. He was unable to sleep, so he got up and he got down his old general's uniform. And he he began to get the mold out of those brass buttons. And he took his uniform and he laid it under his mattress. And he laid down on the mattress to try to put a crease in the uniform again. He polished up his boots the best he could and tried to cut his hair and did his best to try to trim his nails that had grown to over two inches in length. When those Japanese soldiers brought him his starvation diet the next morning, he took that tray and threw it in the floor. And he said, get that garbage out of here. So those Japanese soldiers looked at each other and said, he knows, he knows, he knows. This morning, I don't know what tent you might be in. You might be in the tent of defeat. You might be in the tent of disillusionment. You might be in the tent of sorrow. You might be in the tent of sadness. You might be in the tent of sickness. I don't know what tent you're in this morning, but I'm just God's messenger boy that God sent me to come by Exciting Southeast this morning and tell you now's not the time to quit. Now's not the time to give up. Reinforcements are on the way. Jesus is coming again. It's, getting, it's not going to be long now. He's coming to get us and going to set us free. Just a few days later, they began to drop out thousands and thousands of paratroopers in the skies above the Philippines. They said it looked like cotton balls from heaven as they floated down through the air. And they went in there and liberated our soldiers and brought them out. They were weak. They were hungry. They were tired, but they were free. Then on September the 2nd, 1945, in Tokyo Bay, on board the battleship USS Missouri, There was a delegation from Japan, and General Douglas MacArthur was sitting at a great big table. And what they were doing was surrendering. General MacArthur was signing the papers accepting the unconditional surrender of the country of Japan. But before he would sign those papers, he said, I'm not signing those until Lieutenant General Jonathan Wainwright is right here with me. So they brought Jonathan Wainwright out. You can Google this. You can find the picture. You'll see it. There's pictures of his frail, weak body standing there beside that table with his shoulders squared away. And I can just imagine, even though he looked weak, he looked, still looked worn from what he'd been through in captivity. But, man, he was doing his best to stand straight, put his shoulders back. Man, I bet there was military pride bursting inside of him as he said, Man, I'm glad I didn't go away, Wall. Man, I'm glad I didn't give up my country's secrets. I'm glad I didn't turn my back on my country. I'm glad I stayed true. To my country, you know one of these days the old ship of Zion that's the church, one of these days, the old ship of Zions going to sail into heaven's harbor i mean it's the, the ship of Zion's a battleship she 's been fired on by the guns of modernism, atheism, and humanism, but there 's still a bloodstained banner that 's waving, and the captain's still got the helm. One of these days, the ship of Zion's going to sail in. To heaven's harbor. It might be to the tomb. If I am redeemed by love divine, glory, glory, Christ is mine. Oh, I like what Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 through 11 says. It says, Wherefore God hath also exalt, highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The devil's going to fight through the tribulation. He's going to throw a last-minute effort in Revelation 19. But his fate's already been sealed at the cross of Calvary. And he's going to have to fall down off of his cloven feet. His knees are going to pop. He's going to have to look into the face of God. The devil's going to say, Jesus, I offered you the kingdom of this world if you'd just bow down and worship me. But you would not. So now I'm bowing down and I'm surrendering the kingdom to this world. And I'm declaring... That you, Jesus Christ, are King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know where I'm going to be. If I get what I deserve, That I'll be probably in the back of the crowd somewhere because I don't deserve to be up at the front. But I sure wish I'd be somewhere close enough where I could see the devil with my own eyes that sorry outfit that's given me so many fits down here in this world, that's caused me so much trouble, I can't wait to be standing there one of these days and see the devil have to bow down at the feet of Jesus and to tell Jesus, You're King of kings and Lord of lords, and I am defeated. And I hope I can be standing there like Jonathan Wainwright. I hope I can be standing there with my shoulders back, standing tall, and I can say, Thank God I didn't go away while on God. Man, I'm glad, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't turn on my Lord. I'm glad I didn't turn on the church. I'm glad I didn't walk away from the gospel. I'm glad I'm saved true to the Lord Jesus Christ. I kept my faith in Him. This morning, He's coming. He shall return. Again, it's a great day for the child of God. and We're looking forward to it. But if you happen to be here this morning, and there's never been that time in your life, when you've repented of your sins you've admitted your sinner and you've believed in your heart that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins was buried and on the third day rose again you've not asked him to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior it's going to be a solemn sad day for you I got good news for you though today's the day of salvation if you've not done that yet you can do it this morning nothing thrill our hearts any more than to be able to take our Bible show you from the word of god how you can receive jesus christ as your lord and savior and you can enjoy those things i've been preaching about maybe you're here this morning and you have been saved but yet the lord has been good to you but yet the devil's lied to you you somehow just let the devil discourage you let you forget about some of the good things of god Maybe the devil's even got you to the place where you've almost felt like that, well, the devil's winning. I might as well just give up. God sent me here to tell you this morning, the devil's not winning. Matter of fact, he's already defeated. I mean he's just he's just making a few last kicks here. Because he knows his his fate's already been sealed. Let's all stand together this morning. We're gonna have a verse of invitation. Again, we don't want to close this morning without giving you an opportunity to come to the Lord. Be ashamed for somebody to hear the gospel this morning and hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loved you so much he's willing to lay down his life on the cross of Calvary so that you could have everlasting life, but yet you would leave here and not, not receive that free gift that's so freely offered. dear Father, thank you for the message you gave us today, Lord, and I. Thank you for the good folks that are here, and for the attendance of the people. And Lord, I pray that you'll just have your willing way in the invitation. Lord, for somebody here, Lord, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray they'll come to you before it's everlasting too late. I pray, Lord, that hearts will be encouraged, and you'll create in our hearts a new zeal, a new excitement to serve you, because we know that you're soon coming again. Have your willing way in the invitation. we be asking your name. Amen. You come this morning as God spoke into your heart.